0: Good morning, Gavin. What will your first sequence of the day be? Computer, load up Commander Legends, please. Yes, Gavin. Could you kick up the 4D RNG? 4D RNG engaged. Add Sequence Apex Devastator. Uh, give me a printout of Apex Devastator smiling. Okay. Computer? Yes? Do we have any new sequences? I have a beta sequence I've been working on. Would you like to see it? Alright. Okay. Hey Gavin, I'm Gilded Lotus, your latest Commander card. I can't wait to entertain you. Now Gilded Lotus I can't get into. Could we make it so it can only cast your commander? Yes. And how about if you have to sacrifice it? Yes. Is there any way to make it cost zero mana? Not computing. Please repeat. Zero mana. This is not suitable for work. Are you sure? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm okay. Excuse me, Gavin. The social media team is calling. It's an emergency. I'll get it later. We have important work to do. Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. My name is Andy. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm here with my co host, Anthony
1: coercive mortal maddox hi anthony hi i don't think i'm that coercive but i'm definitely mortal
0: be pretty i mean i guess coercive has a negative connotation like you're not out there trying to manipulate people but i would say you're persuasive but there's just not a there's not a magic card called persuasive guy (laughs) uh
1: what would persuasive guy do uh it would it would it would have a mind control effect (laughs)
0: <laughs> but a really soft one. It's like just a little one. <laughs> like yeah, at the beginning of combat in your turn, uh, your opponent may give you one of their creatures to
1: attack. <laughs> it's up to them. Uh, they can choose it, call if they it, want. May give may give you target creature.
0: Ah, so you choose the target and then you have I to make the case. I choose the target. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Anthony, I chose course of mortal not just because of how persuasive you are, but also this episode will come out on the eve of the United States election. <laughs> And it's got Will of the Council on that card. Did you know that card had a voting mechanic on it? A lot of people don't know. They just think it's four
1: mana to draw an extra card every upkeep. Interesting. So does the voting actually matter on that card?
0: Um, sometimes you could vote, an, what's it called, Annihilation or Destruction? Or what's the what's the non-draw card, but let's see. Carnage or Homage. So you could vote Carnage, I guess, if you wanted to try and cheese your opponent out and get them to also vote Carnage to wipe the board if it if it benefited you, but... But no, Interesting. this card in a two-player so saying, game basically you know, says it, you draw an extra card. If were to card.
1: favor you to vote for destruction in order to gain power, someone could do that. I actually did see a stream where LSV won a match of Cube
0: by voting Carnage on Coercive Portal. I'm pretty sure it was LSV. It could have been Caleb Gannon. I'm not actually 100% certain. But I did see it happen where, like, you know, in MTGO, you vote simultaneously. So you don't see your opponent's answer. And so because people are so used to the vote not mattering because the person just draws an extra card... Sometimes the, you know, your opponent will just say carnage, even if it does not benefit them to wipe the board because they expect that it doesn't matter what they vote for.
1: Doesn't will the council specifically say, you know, state the order that people vote though? It does say starting with you. So I guess maybe it's not simultaneous.
0: Maybe it's just people don't pay attention to a little pop up. They just, that's definitely possible. They just mash vote or whatever. Anyway, I hope everybody that is able to voted in our election and voted the correct way, which is against fascism.
1: Yeah. Hot take.
0: I don't expect this episode to get a lot of heat, you know, on social media. People are going to be pretty distracted, I think, early next week. So we've got a little bit of a safe space here, Anthony. I don't think we're going to get a lot of new listeners for this episode. We can really just talk to our core, dedicated audience, who we love dearly. Let's not talk about Earth stuff. I don't like talking really talk about Earth stuff either. Let's talk about Dominaria
1: stuff? Sure.
0: We're going to talk about magic this episode. It's funny, every time Hillary asks me what I talked about in the podcast, I always go, oh, well, Anthony now we talked about uh, Magic the Gathering. It's a card game we like. Maybe you've heard of it, and she gets mad at me. But I do it every time. She always asks, what did you talk about? And I say magic. But this time, we are going to be actually talking about the, specifically the recommender on Cube Cobra, which for those of you that aren't familiar, Cube Cobra, the site that you should be hosting your cube list on, has a machine learning built recommender that will basically make recommendations for additions or cuts to your cube based on smart computer algorithms. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that exactly works, and then Anthony and I are going to go down the list of recommended ads and cuts from our primary cubes and talk about them. I think it'll be an interesting perspective into maybe how the recommender works and also into our cube design philosophies and, you know, why we're not running the cards on the suggestion list and why we are running the cards on the cut list. So, that is the plan for the episode, so stay tuned for that, but first, as always, we are going to get started with a pack one pick one from a listener-submitted cube, and this cube comes to us from listener Morphling. and this cube is called an Artificer Cube, and it is a 450-card cube that has a very heavy artifact slash colorless card theme. There are like 130-plus colorless cards in this 450-card cube, so we're looking at a lot of colorless cards here. I'm going to read the pack, so for you playing along at home, you can listen to what I'm reading here, pause the podcast, decide what you're going to pick, and then unpause it and find out if you were objectively right or wrong when Anthony tells you what the correct pick is. Did you groom this pack a little bit? I did not groom this pack. Sometimes I do peek behind the curtain. Sometimes I'll generate a sample pack, and it's just, you know, like, I don't want to talk about why we're all going to take Snapcaster Mage from the Innistrad cube, so instead I, you know, generate another one. Here, this is the first pack I generated, so we're just going to to go from there. All right, lucky flavor win. The cards are Spawning Pit, basilisk Collar, Haunting Wind, Mortician Beetle, Mindless Automaton, Swarm Surge, Shimmer Dragon, Fiery Confluence, Thraben Inspector, Glissa the Traitor, Rite of Passage, Emery Lurker of the Lock, Scuttling Doom Engine, Sword of Vengeance, and Foundry Inspector. Anthony, what are the top cards in this pack
1: for you? I think, for me, it's pretty easily between Emery Lurker of the Lock and Fiery Confluence. Some others that maybe stand out as well are Foundry Inspector and Scuttling Doom Engine, but I think those two really stand out. We are in near-perfect agreement. I had a top three, and my top three is Fiery Confluence,
0: Emery, and Foundry Inspector. I think Scuttling Doom Engine is probably kind of replaceable here. I mean, it's a cool card, and I think it's it's an underrated colorless six-drop because... There are other better cards in the slot, but it's still very effective at what it does. But I'm not going to start on a six mana spell, I don't think, especially when there are such appealing other cards here. So Fiery Confluence, I think many people know, but this is that modal red spell for two red red that can either deal one damage to each creature, two damage to each opponent, or destroy an artifact up to three times for any of those modes. So in any combination, choose three of those modes, which is very powerful here. You know, it's very powerful in every environment, frankly, but it's especially powerful here because if there is a heavy artifact theme this could just destroy three of your opponent's artifacts
1: yeah i'm thinking about it more and i think when i first looked at the pack i was higher on emery than fiery confluence like both of them get very strong in this environment but the fact that i was sort of thinking of uh, fiery confluence as usually just like a a finisher card for an aggressive deck and uh, aggressive decks don't look super super supported here but the fact that yeah you can just destroy three of your opponent's artifacts i think actually probably brings it into the lead for me it's funny that you say you think of it mainly as an aggro finisher card, because
0: I think one of the things I really like about this card is that it actually, I think, goes in every strategy. I'm happy to play this in control, sure. I'm happy to play it in mid range, happy to play it in aggro, which is which does a lot for a four mana card. I feel like there are very few that kind of fit that bill. Now, not just goes in any deck, but like it's very, very good in pretty much any one of those decks. Great in a control deck as a board wipe. Good in mid-range, because you can oftentimes, you know, if you're up against aggro, you can wipe the board of their small creatures and keep your mid-range stuff. And if you're up against control, it can finish the game the same way it does against, It does it in an aggro deck. It just does a lot of things. Yeah, and then Emery is, you know, of course, the the 1-2 legendary merfolk wizard for 2 and a blue that uh, is cheaper for each artifact you control and then mills you a little bit and lets you tap to cast... Artifacts from your graveyard. One artifact, a turn from your graveyard if you choose. Which, I, I think the if the efficiency and the the efficacy of this card is going to be determined by how prevalent removal is. Because I can imagine if this is a removal light environment, and from this pack we don't see a lot of removal, so... I feel like sometimes cubes with a more conscious theme will be a little lighter on removal because they want that theme to shine through, which of course makes total sense. And so I could imagine in an environment with less removal perhaps than your average, you know, unpowered cube, that Emery could really, really shine here because, you know, buying back your best artifact every single turn from your graveyard is just a lot of card advantage and a lot of inevitability, uh, which could become very useful.
1: Yeah, I think also with Emery, uh, it's definitely just going to be extremely powerful in a cube with a lot of artifacts because things are just going to incidentally go to the graveyard but i was kind of hoping to see more like uh aether Bomb and urz's bobble and these kinds of like cards that can consistently and like without d- depending on the game going a certain way generate a lot of card advantage with with emry and you didn't see many of those in this list there aren't a lot i mean there's witching well uh what were some other ones there's pyrite Bomb, so you're definitely going to get there but it, it doesn't feel like quite as much of a slam dunk
0: Gotcha. So it's more really just a, you know, recursion piece in case you lose your valuable thing and less a, you know, little engine for making loops of powerful effects.
1: That's my read.
0: And then Foundry Inspector is, you know, just three colorless mana for a 3-2 that makes artifacts cost one less to cast. And as we established, it's a very artifact-heavy environment. So it's going to be probably very solidly playable in pretty much any deck you will end up drafting. And being colorless, it's a very open first pick.
1: I'm actually surprised to see this particular Glissa. Um the, I think it's the Mono Green Glissa Destroys Artifacts. So I was kind of expecting to see that here. Um, just, you know, on first glance, I was like, oh, there's a Glissa. It's got to be the one that is sort of on theme. But still a good card, but I don't want to be uh, first picking a gold card. I think it is on theme. It returns artifacts to your hand for every creature true. or your opponent's oh, control that that's, die. That's definitely true.
0: Yeah, I am uh, I think my pick here is if I'm trying to spike this draft, it is going to be Fiery Confluence, I think, with a bullet. But if I'm trying to really embrace the themes of the cube and maybe build a more novel, interesting deck, Emery Lurker of the Lock I think proposes a lot of potential, potential value here that
1: would be a lot of fun to try and optimize. I would love to play a deck with Emery Lurker of the Lock and Mindless Automaton. Yeah, that's a fun little value engine you can grind out. Had
0: you ever seen this card, Haunting Wind, before? I hadn't. Yeah, this it's is a not. Form- a, it's not a clean read. No, so it's, uh, it's three and a black for an enchantment that says... Uh, the actual text on this card from Antiquities, I guess, says... Each time an artifact in play is tapped or its activation cost is paid, Haunting Winds deals one damage to that artifact's controller. It is not triggered by continuous artifacts. Which just means, in oracle text translation, anytime your opponent activates... Uh, not just an opponent, you or anybody. anytime anybody activates an ability of an artifact, they take a damage. Which... Not a card I'm excited about, but I always like seeing new
1: cards in new contexts, and this is definitely a card I had not seen before. It's really hard to imagine that being more than a pretty marginal sideboard card. Agreed. All right, Anthony, what's your pick? Gotta make, gotta pick one. I'm gonna start with Fire Confluence. I'm gonna take Emery. I just want
0: to have fun, you know? Wow. I know, I feel like we, switched, we we switched seats here. Usually I'm the one that's, like, trying to spike the draft, and you're having more fun than me, but... I don't know. In a cube like this, I just want to see what I can do with Emery. It Seems more you know fun. What? Than just it's time to my be voting stuff. with
1: your head, not with your heart.
0: Well said. I'm I'm a misguided idealist, I guess.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Thank you, Morphling, for sending in that cube list. Always grateful to get the chance to do a pack one pick one from a cube of a slightly different theme. Everyone can check this cube out in the show notes, and if you want to have your cube featured on Lucky Paper Radio and have Anthony and I butcher a pack one, pick one of it, you can send the link to mail at luckypaper.co and include your pronouns and how you want to be credited, and we will do your cube on the show. Anthony, let's dive into our main topic, the recommender on Cube Cobra. So before we get too deep into this, Anthony, have you ever looked at this prior to us discussing this podcast episode for your own cube?
1: i think i have <laughs> that's a compelling answer <laughs> it's not something that i've i've uh no it's fascinating not, it's not something i've really taken a lot of time to look through um it's not something i've used to make any decisions about my cube in the past to be to be frank how about you i i
0: did look at it when the feature first came out because i was curious mm-hmm. i wanted to see what it was recommending me to add or cut from my cube and it did not lead to me making any direct changes. I didn't say, I didn't find something in the additions that I was like, ooh, this is great. Or I didn't find something in the cuts that I was like, yeah, now that I think of it this way, this really needs to go. But I thought it was interesting to see kind of what it recommended and how it worked. So I think we should briefly talk about just how the recommender works in general and I, I'm going to try and like summarize this briefly. I did talk to Ryan Sachs, who is the person that is behind the recommender on CubeCobra. He's a data scientist and machine learning person that uh, worked on this with the team at CubeCobra. And I, I apologize, Ryan, if I butcher any of this, but basically this this recommender is using machine learning. And for people that don't know what machine learning is, it's uh, very, very roughly speaking, just a way that you basically give a computer algorithm a bunch of patterns and you try and get that computer to match those patterns and uh, try and sort of figure out what's underlying those patterns so it can make predictions about what other things in the future might sort of match or not match those patterns. And and here the patterns that this machine learning algorithm is trained with is all of the cubes on Cube Cobra, all of the many many cube lists that are on the website are fed into this algorithm and you know we teach the computer this is what a cube looks like, and then what that machine learning algorithm then does is it goes through and compares your cube against its knowledge of all of the cubes on Cube Cobra and makes suggestions for you know additions and cuts based on that. Um, so it's much more sophisticated than just saying like, well, you know, lots of cubes run this card, right? Sixty percent of cubes on Cube Cobra run this card, and you don't, so you should include it. Um, instead, it's actually looking at all the cards in your cube and other cards that have similar cards or collections of cards and trying to figure out where the biggest discrepancies are and what cards they might recommend to add or cut from your cube based on that information. Does that make sense, Anthony? Does it, do you, did I mess anything up there? You're a little more informed about this stuff than I am.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's not just like saying uh, Star Wars is the most popular movie. We should tell everybody to go watch Star Wars. It's saying, well, based on, you know, exactly you've watched ABC on Netflix, we're going to recommend this specific show uh, because it Relates to the specific things that you're interested in. So, I was trying to do the same thing for cubes. I couldn't think of a popular movie. I guess there's no movies this year. That's maybe why.
0: <laughs> Isn't every popular movie just the Avengers now? Oh, probably. You got Avengers 1, 2, 6, 7, 8, all the Avengers is. Avengers? The Avengers. So, it's a very interesting technology. I think the possibilities for applying machine learning to things like cubes and draft picks is very fascinating. I and mean, there's a lot we can talk about there. But for the purposes of most cube designers, I think what this page can serve to be is a list of some cards you might include, you might consider adding to your cube or might consider cutting from your cube for various reasons. But I do want to emphasize up front that, like, I don't think people should ever look at this page of on their, for their own cube and think that this is a card, these are cards they really need to consider cutting or adding, right? Like, it is sort of a way of filtering down the 20,000 cards you're not putting in your cube to, like, think about ones you might want to consider, but I wouldn't put too much weight behind the algorithm and assume that if you're not running a card in the editions and you can't come up with a good reason, then you're, you're messing up or doing a bad job as a designer. Because this is really in its infancy. This is like basically the first implementation of the recommender on Cube Cobra. And even if it was really sophisticated, the beauty of Cube is kind of doing your own thing. And so just sort of hewing to whatever the average is or whatever the most likely thing for you to run based on the other cards in your cube is, is not the most interesting thing about designing a cube to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit in the past how even just using uh, the the commander EDH rec sort on Scryfall can be extremely valuable, just because it's like literally the only way that I'm aware of that you can sort uh, sort cards by some kind of um, how people actually value the cards. Um, we could sort by converted mana cost, by name, by the set they're from, but none of that really indicates anything about how people think about the card. Uh, so I think just having another way to give you some suggestions, give you another way of just exploring some cards that you might consider that actually has some weight in other people's opinions um, is extremely valuable. I, I do think the name is, it, like, obviously when you just hear it's the, the recommender, it, it definitely sounds very biased and it's saying, well, we recommend you make these changes and then your queue will be better. It's a succinct name that describes what it does, but it, it, I don't think we need to think about it uh, as, as a way to actually make your queue better by following these recommendations.
0: Yeah, I can't think of a of a better name for it. I mean, it's kind of like the contextualizer. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's comparing your cube to the abstract idea of all other the cubes that are similar to it on Cube Cobra. But yeah, I, I agree that I don't think people should think about this as like object recommendations for cards that will better suit the goals of their cube as sort of laid out. And I think talking about the recommended additions and cuts to our own primary cubes will be a good sort of indication of that. So, we're going to start with my cube because my cube hues I think much more closely to what maybe the average cube on CubeCover looks like as we've discussed on the show before. I have kind of a run of the mill unpowered Legacy Plus cube with lots of the sort of, you know, lots of the cards that you've you've seen and played in cubes before. And then we'll and with Anthony's cube, Anthony's regular cube, which, uh, as we've also talked about in the show, is a little lower power level, and I think represents more of what you like about the game, as opposed to my cube, which is really kind of trying to capture some of the most powerful things you can do in magic. You basically are untethered from that, that bias, Anthony, and kind of sailing your own ship based on what you want to do. And so I think the recommender's suggestions are especially interesting in that context for you.
1: All right, let's get into it. Starting
0: with my additions. I... I have to say I wasn't surprised really at all by basically any of the recommended additions to my cube, and it's because almost all of them are representative of very conscious design decisions I have made about my environment. One of them, which we've discussed on the show before, is my sort of insistence that my cube adhere to the spirit of Singleton and my desire to avoid running any Functional duplicates or any cards that are strictly worse than other cards that I include in my cube already. So just looking at this list, Chain Lightning is the number one card in my recommended editions. We have Day of Judgment, Fendhorn Elves, Banishing Light, Incinerate, Elvish Mystic. Uh, these are all within the top twenty cards of the list. Lightning Strike, Fabled Passage. So all of those cards I just read would all are all excluded from my cube for that limitation and restriction I've put on myself, right? I don't want to include Incinerate and Lightning Strike alongside Lightning Bolt in my cube. I don't want to run Day of Judgment alongside Wrath of God. I don't want to include Elvish Mystic alongside Llanowar Elves. So all those recommendations, I fully expected the recommender to make. I know that my restriction is a somewhat uncommon one, and most people running cubes like mine include all those cards. And that's really highlighted here by by the recommended edition. So it's, in some ways, it's really interesting, because this like, is a nice way to formalize or like see reflected back at me my cube design philosophy. And I can see here that like one of the biggest ways that I do in fact deviate from the average cube designer on Cube Cobra is that I have this restriction I've imposed on myself.
1: Yeah, that stood out really, really strongly to me. Like just so many of these cards fit exactly that that structure.
0: So that's one limitation that I see popping up here. Another conscious design decision I've made that uh, is showing up in my editions here is my 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 really strong dislike for tapped lands, lands that enter the battlefield tapped. So, Creeping Tar Pit, Celestial Colonnade are high up on this list. So is Raging Ravine, and again, Fabled Passage. I just, this is a sort of personal preference of mine. I'm maybe backing off from this a little bit because with my Zendikar Rising updates, I did add some of the double face cards that come in tapped. I added some of the Triomes for my Coria because I think their value in the draft is worth playing them for their costs in deck building. So I, there was a time where I basically had no tapped lands, and I'm starting to ease up on that a little bit, but I still want to minimize them as much as possible, and so those are my reasons for not running any of these man lands or Fabled Passage is that I just don't... I really want to avoid those tapped lands if I can, and I haven't felt the need to go deeper on fixing for, for those tapped lands.
1: Yeah, I actually interpreted that a little bit differently, because I thought you did have some of these, uh, the creature lands especially, but I guess those have all been cut. I sort of interpreted that as it trying to finish out cycles that you had. I don't have a single man land, or a single one of the dual-colored creature lands in my cube
0: right now. I, at one point, had Creeping Charpet and Celestial Colonnade, uh, and they were some of the last tap lands I cut from my cube, and they got cut when I decided to break Singleton for Shock lands, which was probably about a year ago, roughly speaking. So they were in there for a while, uh, and they were the last ones to go. But that, that's I, I'm not, not surprised to see those in here either because I recognize that my distaste for that effect is stronger than the actual impact on games, right? Like, if I was trying to, strictly speaking, optimize purely for power level, I probably would be including these cards. It's just that I I don't like them because of because I hate drawing my celestial colonnade when I need to board wipe on
1: turn four. So does it pain you to see him to Turok your until recently uh, cover card on this list? I know it is sad that I had to change my cover art from the beautiful
0: you know Wolf Moon cover art to something else because I cut him to Turok. But uh, but no it it doesn't pay me to see it here i I made the decision to cut it consciously, and I'm okay with that. It is worth noting that that Ryan, uh, the person behind the recommender on Cube Cobra, did mention to us that we should ignore recommendations of cards we very recently added or cut because of some way the model works with how it sort of processes your cube, so he mentioned that some of those additions uh, or cuts might not be appropriate if it was a very recent change to the cube. So that could be why it's showing up here pretty highly. Though it also honestly could be just that a lot of people play this card and and I don't
1: anymore. Computers, how do they work? The one that really surprised me in the ads, uh, like I think like like we've been saying, a lot of these are cards that we're used to seeing in similar cubes. So it's not a huge surprise to see them here. Blade Splicer does stand out as something that I don't usually consider to be quite at this power level. I think most people do consider Blade Splicer to be at this power
0: level. And I mean, it's not Terribly difficult to see why. At three mana, it gives you two bodies and four power, and three of that power has first strike, which is which is very potent. Also, people do have a lot of blink synergies in their cubes, which I, I don't include consciously in my cube. It's not that there's no way to blink Blade Splicer, but I don't intend for there to be a quote-unquote blink deck. So I'm not surprised to see that here. I think it's one of the three drops that is recommended by humans most often to me when they look at my cube, and so it's not terribly surprising. I, I found in my cube that... I really wanted my three drops to either be top tier, undeniably powerful things like Brimaz or to disrupt my opponent, things like Big Thalia. And if they weren't doing one of those two things, then I felt like it was just, I'd rather have another two drop as opposed to, uh, you know, kind of a middling three drop, which is, which is how I thought about Blade Splicer. And I I cut this a long time ago. This is in with the first version of my cube and probably got cut two or three years ago as I sort of refined my, my white aggro section. But I'm also not surprised to see that here. I mean, truthfully, I'm not surprised to see any of the cards in this sort of first 20 recommended editions. I do want to talk briefly about some of the other cards that are excluded. So, Blade Splicer falls into a category of card that was at one point in there, but I cut for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, the same is true for Questing Beast. That was a card I included for, I mean, I not a terribly long time, because Eldrain was only out, uh, you know, for about a year as of this point. But I had that into my most recent uh, cuts, and... This card I just don't think is necessary for me anymore, and I could I could not handle the spaghetti text box of this card. Like, it just bums me out so much that it, people can never remember what this card does, and it's got all these rules abilities, it's so inelegant. And I was just like, you know what, I don't need to run this for my green section to be viable, and I don't like the card, so I'm just gonna cut it. Which is also true for Bloodgast. Bloodgast is another card I think would be fine in my cube, but... I didn't like the black black casting cost on a two drop. I think it's a little too limiting and basically very sort of narrow to just mono black aggro. And so I was happy to cut this for Skyclave Shade in Zendikar Rising, which is a very similar mechanically card, but only costs one in a black. And so that was kind of another situation of me just allowing my actual preference for cards I liked more to sort of take precedence over trying to strictly optimize the list. Wormcoil Engine is a card that has been in and out of my cube many times, and I'm actually curious now, Anthony, what do you think of Wormcoil Engine in my cube? I recognize that you, know, you would never play this card in your cube because it's just stupid power level and being a colorless card, but how do you feel about a card like Wormcoil Engine in my cube compared to like, the other things you can do at 6 mana?
1: Uh, I think it would be reasonable. Like I think that the first time you cut it, your cube was a little bit less uh, less refined, um, and it did feel like it was sort of an auto first pick always whenever you saw it because it was a colorless card. But since you've made aggro a lot more viable, I don't think that's the case anymore. So I don't really see a great reason to cut it on that level. At the same time, it's not a card I really love to play with. Uh, it just hits the battlefield, and you, I mean, even if you have removal, uh, you're just going to be in in a sticky situation. I cut it because. It, it it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like it's
0: that much worse than the colored options at six mana that you're making a you know a, a strategic decision to take a colorless card over a colored card like I think it is probably a tiny bit worse than something like Grave Titan but it's really kind of a toss up and I am always trying to cut down the curve of my of my cube and I just felt like Card Engine really had this kind of Bane Slayer effect like I know it is not a Bane Slayer strictly speaking because it does have these tokens that show up when they when you use the battlefield but uh, it does really demand an answer. And if you don't have an answer for it, then it runs away with the game very quickly on account of its life link. There's no racing at Wormclaw Engine. You're right. not going to do it. And yeah, so the cut I actually made for this uh, probably six months ago now was I cut this for Golos just because I think Golos is a much worse cube card I want to get out of the way than Wormclaw Engine. Like, I think that's a huge step down in power level. But Golos is one of these cards that falls into the category of... It's one card that I think opens up kind of a whole deck for the right kind of drafter. You know, some people will see Golos and they'll want to take Golos and draft like a five-color deck. And I'm excited that I can include just a single card that has that impact on the draft without having to make any other sacrifices or modifications to the cube to kind of allow for this whole other lane to exist for players that see it and want to drive down it. So that, again, was like a, just a, again, trying to not just optimize my cube slots for power level, but trying to optimize them for other things that are maybe... A little bit more subjective and hard to to explain or or codify. So again, a card I'm not surprised to see in this in this recommended editions list.
1: Well, I have bad news for you. You have to cut Golos. What I have to cut Golos? That's what it says.
0: Let's see over here on the cuts. Yep, yeah, he's actually it's actually almost exactly lined up. I think Wormco Engine is the the 17th recommended edition, and Golos appears to be the 15th recommended cut. So there you go. The robot says I'm wrong. Don't believe it. It's just a mindless automaton. <laughs> nice. The last card I want to talk about here is just briefly, Lovestruck Beast. If this is another one. I want to ask what you think of Lovestruck Beast in an environment like mine, Anthony.
1: It's definitely a powerful card. It's uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I-, I think that a lot of the adventures... Um, It's just such easy, free card advantage that they don't super appeal to me and tacked on to Love Stroke Beast, the sort of variance of if you lose your token or you don't have another 1-1, it kind of just falls apart. Um, It's not my favorite magic card, but I think it would definitely play well. It's uh, it's a card I've never tested in the cube, and I did consider it
0: before because I I actually do really like the adventure mechanic for my cube. I I recognize your observation that it's kind of just free card advantage uh, because really, honestly, most of the... Actual spells and creatures on adventure cards are not as overcosted as you might expect them to be, given the inherent card advantage of casting the adventure first and the inherent modality of having those two options. But uh, but yeah, I I don't... There's two things I don't like about Lovestruck Beast. I don't love the sort of commitment to this being like a dedicated mid-range card at three mana and green. Like, it's really just a body and doesn't provide any other interesting decisions in terms of draft or gameplay decisions, right? It's just basically a 5-5 that you hopefully can attack with and block with, and there's really not even... You're not going to draft more one ones for the, like, hope of keeping this thing turned on or anything. You're just expecting it to be turned on by its own adventure, by, like, random mana dorks that are floating around. So it's just kind of beef, and even though it's good beef, I am not thrilled to put just beef in my cube. And the other reason is kind of what you alluded to. I... I do think it is somewhat swingy where a three mana five, five is obviously well above the bar for a vanilla creature, but the fact that you can turn your opponent's forked bolt into a temporary two for one doesn't feel great to me. And so I've never really liked the way I expect this card to play out in the lines of experience playing with it in normal limited, where it again kind of has a swingy effect on the board state. And I I think that I'm willing to accept that swinginess when it, is attacked on a card that provides an interesting novel effect, but I don't really see that in this card because it's just a 5-5 five, five again. So these are all cards I've considered running, uh, but cut for some reason that is sort of a conscious design decision of mine, which which I think is a, a big compliment to the to the recommender. I think he did a pretty good job very quickly identifying the cards that are obvious omissions from my list, that people looking at it might expect to see but don't. And the reasons are the ones we just described, which, of course, the recommender doesn't know my reasoning, but it did a very good job sort of highlighting those cards that stand out, I think. The recommended cuts are a little bit of a different story. I have to say I'm a little surprised by some of the recommended cuts, and some of them I am not at all surprised by. So let me just briefly run down the ones I'm not at all surprised by. I'm not surprised that it wants me to cut Lonely Sandbar, which is a card I recently added because of Zendikar Rising. I'm not surprised it wants me to cut Judges Familiar, which is a card that I'm adding because I like that it's a hybrid card and I want to sort of test out additional taxing. I'm not surprised it's asking me to cut some cards that are less efficient versions of an effect that I run because of the additional flexibility they provide, again, sort of in service of my no functional duplicates rule. So Collective Defiance and Seal of Fire and cards like that, you know, it makes sense to me why those would be recommended cuts because... Most other people are running cubes that are full of lightning strikes and incinerates, so we don't need these cards. They're not going as deep into that sort of card type as I am. So those ones don't super surprise me. So, some some guys' cards do surprise me, though. So you mentioned Golos briefly. I, I, think, I think I am lower on this card than most people, and yet I'm still running it, and I've seen a lot of people that are very excited about this card, so I'm a little surprised to see that here. I think Whisperwood Elemental being here is a big surprise to me. That feels okay. like a card that is still, I think... One of the best things you can do on five mana in any color
1: in Magic. And uh, I'm surprised to see that listed here as one of the recommended cuts. I definitely agree. I think Whisperwood Elemental and um, Rampant Growth were the two that really surprised me because these seem like such staple effects. I do get that a lot of players maybe that are playing at this power level are more to just playing, you know, th- all of the in elves and then Crater Hoof. So, so both of these green cards that are kind of in-between in, in terms of mana cost uh, don't make the cut for a lot of cubes. That's that's my best hypothesis. Yeah, I suppose so. That could be it. I just feel like if
0: you were going to cut one of the green fives, like, I, w- I would be less surprised to see something like, uh, what's the ooze from Ravnica uh, Allegiance or whatever the one that ooze. copies? Yeah, I'd be less surprised to see Biogenic Ooze here than I am to see Whispered Elemental, I guess. But, you know, that, that's part of what's enlightening about looking at this recommender, mm-hmm. is that I guess people are lower on Whispered Elemental than I thought, uh, in general. There's also uh, a few cards I recently added that are added just because I think they're interesting and want to try and test them out, including cards like Fairy Guide Mother, which we talked about last time in the show, Judge is Familiar, like I mentioned, Maze Mind Tone, which we've talked about. These are cards that I'm interested in experimenting with, but I'm, supr- I'm not surprised to see listed here as sort of the potential cuts I thought it was funny that both Incubation Druid and Lotus Cobra were adjacent in this list, because to me, those two cards represent very different approaches to cube in the same sort of mana, in the same CMC slot in the same color. So they're both two mana, effectively mana dorks, right? Like Incubation Druid is an O2 that taps for a color of mana that one of your lands could produce, and then it has adapt 3 for 5 mana, so you can put 3 three counters on it, and then it can tap for 3 mana of that color. This is the card I like more of the 2. I think Incubation Druid is better than Lotus Cobra, but doesn't get very much attention. There's not a lot of... Because people go deeper on the 1-mana Mana Dorks than I do, they don't have to dig as deep into the 2-mana Mana Dorks as I do. And Incubation Druid is one I don't see played that often, but I think it's one of the better 2-mana Mana Dorks, because it has this late-game relevance. You can turn it into a 3-5, which is way better than... <laughs> any other mana dork, right? It does something on the board. It doesn't just sort of sit there being useless. And then Lotus Cobra is a card that I am familiar with being very highly praised in cube because of its very high ceiling, right? This is a two-mana card that it has a landfall ability that produces a mana of any color, which means that if on turn two you can play Lotus Cobra and then on turn three you can play a fetch land, trigger that landfall twice, this thing effectively produces two mana, and you can cast a 4, 5, or maybe even 6 drop on turn 2, depending on what other sort of mana dorks you have in play, which is a very powerful effect. But it also means that sometimes you want mana out of your Lotus Cobra, and you just can't get it because you don't have that land drop, right? Um, sometimes I think the role of mana dorks is to mitigate mana screw a little bit. If you don't have your third land in your ramp deck, it's not good for you because you've really kind of obviated some of the benefit of running the Mana Dorks in the first place. If you are just basically not hitting your land drops, you might as well have just played a Forest instead of a Mana Dork on the turn prior. But, that's better than not doing anything, right? Not having any land at all. Having played a 2-mana 2-1 that produces no mana. So, I'm lower on this card. This is probably the sort of bottom of the barrel of my green 2-drops, I think, right now. But, it's in this category of cards that I include because I know lots of other people like it a lot, and will take it highly. And I recognize that I don't have to agree with my play group. We can have disagreements on cards, and I'm happy to include this to let those players that are interested in drafting this card, you know, do it and play the card still.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me.
0: The last card I want to talk about here, Anthony, I want to get your opinion on this, because this is another card like Wormcoil Engine that has been in and out of my cube at least three times at this point, point. and that card is Explore. How do you compare Explore and Rampant Growth when you are thinking about them in the abstract?
1: with difficulty.
0: It's hard to compare them, right? Because, you know, Rampant Growth searches the library for basic land, puts it in play tapped, easy peasy, does the same thing no matter what, that card always does that. Explore draws a card and says you can play an additional land this turn. So, sometimes it's way better than Rampant Growth, because you either get to You know, play a land untapped on an early turn of the game, and so you still get the additional land, but it gets to come and play untapped instead of tapped, which is good. Or you draw it super late in the game where you don't need a land either way, and you're just happy to have this basically cantrip and just draw you a card. In those two circumstances, it looks a lot better than Rampant Growth. But there are also times where it's a lot worse than Rampant Growth, namely when you need it to hit a land and you don't. You draw your extra card for turn and it is still not a land, and now you've missed a land drop and you haven't gotten your land from your library or you haven't been able to get a specific basic you need to fix your mana. And so I I think that Explore is a more variable card than Rampant Growth. Rampant Growth is kind of rock solid, and Explore has a much bigger band of potential impact on the game. But I'm back to putting it in my cube because I really for that second mode, for the mode of drawing it late. I, I have been trying to include as much ramp as I can that is still relevant later in the game, a la Incubation droop, which we just talked about. And so that's the mode I'm really thinking about when I include the explore here. Is like, I'm really excited to draw this on turn seven, as opposed to drawing a ramp growth on turn seven, which is pretty abysmal.
1: I think the other reason, um, in addition to all of the points you just made, is just that ramp growth always works consistently from the perspective of mana fixing as well. And I think that a lot of players, when they're drafting... A green deck, they are often want to say they're base green with one or multiple other colors of splashes, and Explore just doesn't actually let you play that style of deck. Yeah, it it def- doesn't help you, right? <laughs> it, I mean, it helps you a tiny
0: bit by drawing cards. Like, I think cantrips do just increase the consistency of a deck, and they'll make your deck effectively smaller to find those extra lands, but nowhere near as much as Ramp and Growth, which you just go find your splash color and basically serve as a ramp source and a, you know, source for that splash color in your deck list as if it was a basic land of that type, which is really helpful. So I'm back on it. I'm going to test it out and see how I feel about it. Uh, It has the potential for the feel-bads for those times that I mentioned when it just whiffs, but I do think overall it's probably better than it looks. And, And truthfully, the reason I'm back on it is because of how good Uro has been for me, which obviously Uro is a much better card, and it's a gold card and has a bunch of other stuff going on, but... The draw a card, an additional land this turn mode of Uro, the first time you cast it when it's not escaped, I kind of evaluated it as like, well, this is a necessary evil. Like, I have to cast this over crappy spell in order to later on escape Uro from my graveyard, which is this really high-value play. And in practice, it has felt totally fine to cast the front half of Uro. It gives you a little bit of life, too, which, which helps, but it has not felt like I was playing something dramatically behind curve, or dramatically less efficient than my opponents when I spend three mana to draw a card, gain a little life, and play an extra land this turn. And so that's why I think adding Explore back in. It just feels like it turns through your deck and, and finds what you need, and the fact that it's ramped, it's relevant late game, I think is, is a very a very big check in its favor.
1: It's a little bit of a difficult comparison, because Uro kind of just draws you two cards. You know, it's true, but
0: I'm just comparing it to that sort of first mode of casting Uro, which... Yeah, I mean, it's good that it escaped, but if you look at that turn in isolation, like, was this turn bad for me? Did I, like, fall behind because all I did was pay three mana to have a sort of minimal impact on the board? Uh, or really, no impact on the board, maybe an extra land. It hasn't felt as bad as I expected it to, and so that's where I landed with it. Fair enough. One last card, I'm going to mention very briefly here, is just, I see not that many people playing Murderous Cut, and I truly don't understand why. Uh, it, that's the Delve Removal spell that can kill any creature. I, I explicitly avoid the destroys non-black creatures line of rules text because it irks me so i maybe go a little deeper on removal spells than other people do because people are happy playing doom blades and shriek mods where i avoid those if i can but i really think murderous cut is like a kind of a top tier removal spell and i don't see it in a lot of people's lists and I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that and do you have a theory as to why that might be anthony
1: the only thing i could come up with is people are when they go to look for black removal they're searching cmc less than three because that's where they expect to find things other than that maybe just a, a sort of mona lisa effect a little I bit guess? of an echo chamber yeah i suppose uh, i'm not sure but i think you should be playing murderous cut people
0: especially if you have fetch lands in your cube and yeah, i think it's just a good card it's control good decks card. sometimes can pay a lot of mana for it and sometimes it just costs one like it's really powerful so that's my last sort of statement here I wasn't really surprised by any of the recommended additions or cuts outside of the sort of the small anomalies we talked about. Like, I was a little surprised to see Whispered Elemental in there because I think it's such an effective five-drop. A little surprised to see Murderous cut in there. Uh, and then I thought it was interesting that we had Incubation Druid and Lotus Cobra, which represent two different philosophies towards how mana dorks might work represented in there. But, but, yeah, overall, the cards that are it's telling me to add are cards that I have at some point consciously decided not to add. And the cards it's telling me to cut are cards that I know other players don't play the same density that I do, so it's something I'm already kind of aware of, maybe stands out in my cube list. So you did it, you did it perfectly, is what you're saying. Well, the recommender did it perfectly, I think. I, th- to me, that's a that's a testament to the recommender, because it, it does reflect what I understand to be like a human perspective on my cube. I oftentimes get humans asking me, why don't you run Blade Splicer, or why don't you run Questing Beast, or you should cut museum orders like people tell me that all the time and it's like okay i understand why you think that but here's why i run it and it's i have to explain it and so similar like to this i have to explain to this robot why i run these cards that i run and i can't because it's a robot and we can't talk to robots anthony
1: true
0: on to the regular cube anthony what did you think of your recommended ads and cuts i feel
1: judged by this you robot. feel judged a little bit <laughs> so so this cube is It is a much lower power level cube, but with no formal restrictions. So I'm not saying, you know, no rares. It has to be modern and whatever it has to be. What are some other ways people restrict things in structured ways? I mean, set cubes, legality cubes, rarity cubes are kind of the most formalized restrictions, I think. So I'm not doing any of that, but I am restricting myself in a very loose way to this certain very specific power level. So it's interesting that it's both in the cuts and the ads, there are things sort of in both directions, where the recommender has seen both there are cards that are potentially uh, below rate and above rate. When I look at the addition specifically, though, it sort of feels like the the recommender is saying, hey, we know that you're sort of a pauper or peasant-ish cube, so here's some good like peasant staples, and then a couple just like wacko rares, which... Definitely don't. I, I don't really know what they're doing here. What are the wacko rays you're talking about? Stuff like
0: Savin's Reclamation.
1: Yeah, so we've got Savin's Reclamation, and all the way up at number two, Double Vision.
0: It's funny because, like, I know what's in your cube, roughly speaking, but I don't. I don't have the entire list memorized, and I know it changes every every few weeks or every month or so, and so I don't know always know what's in there and what's not in there. But if you told me Double Vision was in your cube, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily. Wow. Okay. I mean, it, it feels like the kind of card that is it meets a lot of your goals, frankly. Like, you want to encourage people to draft a deck that has some kind of internal synergy, where the cards relate to each other in a way that increases their effectiveness beyond just, I ran a bunch of cheap creatures and made an aggro deck, or I ran very few creatures and had a bunch of board wipes, and that was my combo— and Double Vision does, you know, reward you, right? You have to play a bunch of instants and sorceries, but if you do, this is a thing that will, you can go out of your way to really get a lot of value out of. And it's a, kind of a fun build-around, and I think of your cube as being, like, the fun build-around cube a little bit.
1: Hmm. All right, I take, it, I take it all back. I guess I'm adding Double Vision.
0: Well, no, I'm curious to know why I'm wrong and why that card stands out and is not, not in line with your goals for your cube.
1: I think the biggest issue for me is just that it's it seems extremely high variance, uh, and the floor is extremely low. Like, this can be a card that is a five mana do-nothing, or you play it, or, you know, your opponent plays it, and you're like, well, if they do anything the next turn, I just lose the game. So it doesn't really appeal to me for those reasons. Okay, sure. So you really think that they're pushing you to be—you
0: think these are— It's funny you consider these like peasant recommendations because I don't see them that way necessarily.
1: So the ones that seem like solid uh, sort of like peasant staples, and a lot of these I agree with and are sort of like on the fence for me, Um, things like Mire Triton, Order of Midnight, A Braid, uh, Hypnotic Sprite, and similar things like that that I think would be totally viable, um, and I would definitely consider them in the future. While I agree they're peasant staples, I think they're peasant staples because they're just
0: kind of universally good cards. I mean, I run half the cards you just mentioned. I run A Braid, I run uh, Order of Midnight, I have come very close. I run. Um, I've come very close to running Hypnotic Sprite before. So, and I'm not. I'm not playing a meridian restricted cube. So,
1: interesting. But at the same time, you know, it's not recommending the cards that are in your cube. You know, it's not saying you need Lightning Bolt and uh, other good cards. <laughs> Doom Blade, <laughs> Goblin Guide, Goblin Guide. These are good cards. Um. So another small category is like. I am definitely playing some highly synergistic cards in my cube. So, for example, we have this like heroic theme where you want to target your own creatures. And I do want to sort of balance the amount that any one of these synergies is, is present. So it's not just like, oh yeah, if you're drafting red-white, you have to be the heroic deck. It's more like, well, there's a couple different options you can go. And there's a chance this is going to be a minor theme in your deck. So I recommend specifically Hero of the Nyxborn, which is a, a red-white card, which I think would be reasonable. Um, I, I just don't think I would include it alongside some of the cards that I already have present.
0: Yeah, that's one of the, I think, most impressive recommendations, because you do have a heroic theme, and it's gone and recommended a card that effectively has heroic, though it doesn't actually have the word heroic in its rules text, because it's not in a step that had featured that mechanic, but it has the same ability that would be an heroic ability were it in the original Theros block. So I'm, I'm impressed that it pulled that card as a recommendation, personally.
1: All right, one more point for the Mindless Automaton. I'm not um, saying you should run it in your cube. I'm
0: just saying <laughs> I'm impressed that it was able to yeah. seemingly, to some degree, identify a heroic theme in your cube, even though you have not included just like every single heroic card, like you said. You didn't just, you know, search Scryfall for heroic, jam them all on a list, and, you know, call it your cube.
1: For sure. And then the last sort of category I see of cards is, uh, like I sort of mentioned, what I thought might have been happening with your cube is uh, completed cycles. So there are a couple of land cycles, which I have incomplete. i I' I think I've mentioned this before, how I just really like that one of the aspects of magic is that all of the colors do their own thing, or do their own thing in their own ways, even. And so people are often excited to have complete cycles where, you know, we have the signets that every single color has access to the same thing. I would love to push things as much as possible in the opposite direction, in lands included, where colors have different lands that do different things because those colors want to play the game differently. I'd love to push that even more like right now I have a complete cycle of the bounce lands and some of the other uh, land cycles, but a few where I do have gaps. Uh, the recommender has found them and told me to fix them.
0: I like your approach. I think it makes a lot of sense. So shove it recommender. Stick yeah. it in your stick yeah. it in your HDMI port, robot.
1: <laughs> That's not how robots work, I don't think, but who knows?
0: Are there any cards in this recommended editions list that you were like, oh, huh. Yeah, that does actually seem kind of interesting. Maybe I'll consider adding that in the future.
1: Uh, nothing super surprised me. Again, like Meyer Triton and uh, Hypnotic Sprite. Terramander even could be interesting. hasn't been one I really considered. Uh, Reprobation is another one that's definitely been on the maybe list. So maybe some reinforcement of things that seem like an appropriate power level and have sort of this open synergistic nature that uh, I would definitely consider a little bit more. One, I guess, that stood out a little bit was Season of Growth, so this is another sort of heroic type effect, uh, that whenever you get a creature spell, you get to scry one. Uh, Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature, you draw a card. What do you think about that?
0: You know, it does fit with your goals of including and making combat tricks viable. I don't like that this is a card that doesn't do anything until you've cast something else, kind of similar to Double Vision, and the value provides is very marginal, so... Double Vision is the kind of card where I can see somebody taking it and just being like, all right, I'm going in on this, right? Like, this is going to change my draft picks. This is going to change everything because the payoff of copying spells is huge, right? And so right. it could it could cause you to draft your deck and play your deck very differently. Whereas the payoff of Season of Growth is nice. It's nice to have it. And, you know, certainly in because your your cube is not a particularly fast environment, you'll have an opportunity to play this on turn two if it's in your opener. And I think generating that, card advantage over the long game is going to be a big benefit and will, you know, help you win, but it also is kind of a dead top deck most of the time because you draw and you have nothing else in hand and it's just, you have to wait and hope you draw more cards to sort of trigger it, so I don't know, I think if I saw this, it would be a good sort of indicator that I should be on the lookout for combat tricks and fight spells and that this card presence in the cube would tell me that those things are going to be available to me and they are like that is something you try to support
1: in your cube so it is kind of interesting I'm not sure yeah same it seems like you said like the floor is extremely extremely low the ceiling is quite high but it has that variance that makes it not super appealing yeah it's only two mana so it's the kind of thing where like I don't
0: know you could try it out it could be fun I enjoy playing with this card in limited I thought it was interesting I don't know. That's another one that I think, I mean, it, it does sort of get at one of your goals in a way that I'm a little surprised the recommender was able to derive. You do have a higher than average number of combat tricks, and
1: you have some fight spells as removal, so could get there. And I bet there's not a ton of cubes that are running Hero of Lena Tower, so that might be a pretty strong indicator. Yeah. So the cuts, the recommended cuts, are even more hard to swallow. There's some, there's some... <laughs> You're taking tough... <laughs> this very personally, Anthony. It's just a robot. We gotta ham it up a little bit. All right, sure. Take it personally. Tell like them right, about the show. Coming in go. at number eight, my favorite card in the cube, the face card of the cube that it thinks is total garbage, and I have to cut now. Knight of the Reliquary. Yeah. Why? Why?
0: Why does it want you to cut Knight of the Reliquary? I here's my guess. Mm-hmm. My guess is that this card is probably not in very many cubes, and the one it, the ones it are in, probably has very explicit, you know, quote-unquote lands matter archetypes, which you don't really have. You're not running Crucible of Worlds, you're not running Strip Mine, you're not running some of the broken things you could theoretically enable with a Knight of the Reliquary, and so I'm guessing that your basically your goals of playing this card for value are not reflected by a lot of the cube community.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And similarly, I wonder if, you know, there, there are a lot of rares on this uh, recommended cuts list, and I wonder if it is, again... That there's a, t- a lot of overlap between my cube and a lot of popper cubes. Do you think that's a possibility? I think it could be, but I think it's kind of incidental because the rares it's recommending for you to cut are
0: mostly kind of, I don't know, kind of weird cards to include, <laughs> frankly. Like, you know, they're, they're cards that do have a little bit of that build around the feast or famine thing going on, which I can understand why the recommender might think to cut. I mean, like, an obvious example is it has Earl of Squirrel here. You Oof. run... You run a very few amount of un-cards, so not few that, like, currently. I think... Yeah, so, like, so few... I'm actually surprised to not see Booster Tutor here, which is the other one you include, because I would expect that, because there's so few of them, most people are either making a quote-unquote uncube or they're not, and if they're making an uncube, they're going to have way more than two of them in there, so I'm not surprised to see a card like that. Same with, like, Mirage Mirror or Rune. Like, these are cards that I think most people are not looking to fit in their lists, and so I'm not totally surprised to see them recommended here. I mean, rares tend to be more odd, right? They have more complicated mechanics. They'll be, you know, more kind of out there, and so I'm not totally surprised. I don't know if it's entirely a a rarity-based thing,
1: I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. No, I think you're right. So let's say maybe a better hypothesis is a lot of these, like, very specific build-around rares just don't end up making uh, most lists regardless of any restrictions. So, like, similarly, we've got... uh, nesting dragon and uh launch the fleet it is a little funny that they recommend cutting launch the fleet
0: but adding hero of the Nixborn. like i i I think you're i think you're kind of throwing a little bit of a curveball to this cube because i think something you do that most people don't is you, you have this kind of very balanced support for these archetypes where you want them to be present but you don't want them to be dominating and the thing that really defines the draft experience and I think a lot of people that make archetypal cubes, those archetypes do dominate the draft. It's like the heroic theme is bashing you over the head, and every card in red-white has heroic written on it or something related to it. And here you've included enough that you think, enough that it can be a presence, but not so much that it is the only presence. And so I think because you're riding that sort of razor's edge, it's like, look, man, either add hero of the next corner, (laughs) cut, launch the fleet. But like right now you're in this weird space that I, a robot, can't process.
1: That's pretty fair. All right, so then we've, we've got that category, weird build around rares, which I, I get the recommendation, like, given the model of, we're just trying to compare and get you sort of closer to the average cube that is like this. That makes sense, but I really like those, so I'm, I'm not going to be changing, changing the cube based on that. Let me propose another hypothesis for another subset of these cards, is cards with strictly better alternatives. So, we have cards like Route and Quarian Elves are the two sort of, I think, easiest to spot there. Does that make like, sense? Excuse that- me, does Route have a strictly better alternative? I'm 95% sure it does not. St- mm. Strictly is a loose term. It's one of the only instant speed board wipes I'm aware of. It's true, and I have won games on the back of uh, it being an instant. Yeah. I think that card's really cool and a great inclusion in your environment, personally. Hey, thanks. But would you agree that most people, if would look at this list and say, well, why don't you just include Wrath of God if you're going to include Route? Well, no, because it didn't like it didn't recommend you add Wrath of God, right? I, I, I don't think...
0: I think most of the cubes that it is drawing comparisons to when it is making recommendations for your cube are also not cubes that are optimized in any way for power level. I think they're cube designers that have other goals they're trying to maximize, and so I think what you're running up against is, right, like, in my cube, because my cube is mostly power-optimized, the ones that stand out one way or the other are cards that I have made a very conscious decision about, right? This card's powerful, but I don't like it for this reason. Or, you know, this card is probably not up to power level, but I really like it for some other reason, and so I've included it. Here, I think you're use a lot more noise, I guess, in what I would expect the, the sort of comparative data to look like for your cube, because instead of running up against somebody else that has a slightly different take on what the most powerful or least powerful cards are, you're running up against somebody that... Likes a couple of the sort of archetypes and themes in your cube. It is also operating at a lower power level, but they also have totally different goals that are like completely unrelated and not just the same axis, but different, but just a whole different take on how they want their cube to work. And so I think that's probably why there's like more noise here maybe than, than there would be in a cube that hues closer to the more average cube on, on something like Cube Cobra.
1: Okay. I, I think that's fair, and I think that my hypothesis was not great there. If I dig deep, deep into the recommendations, I do see uh, the other Wraths. Basically, like because I, the in- whole environment is slowed down, uh, the Wraths tend to be 5 and 6 mana rather than 4. Um, and the rest are present, but they're way down the, the list. So uh, I think the hypothesis that it's it's there specifically because there are cheaper, more efficient versions of the card is not, not really where we're at.
0: Yeah, and you can go really deep. I mean, the recommender, I believe, provides a thousand recommendations as a hard number. And wow. what it's actually doing is it's looking across all of the 20,000 cards in Magic, 20,000 some odd cards in Magic, and it's basically just showing you the top 1,000 that it would most recommend for your cube. So you can go really deep in there if you want. And I think, you know, the deeper you go, the less likely there is to be any real hard reason that it's connected to your cube. But, but yeah, when I see Rat over here, I just think it's probably a card that, you know, either maybe people that are operating at this power level are just not playing that many rafts, period, because they don't like them or don't think it's appropriate for their power level, or they've chosen ones that are just, you know... Again, you've pointed out before that one of the goals of your cube is having a wider card pool to draw from, and thus more room to express the things you want to express about the game. And so there are way more cards competing with Route than there are competing with Wrath of God, Right that's true yeah so it's entirely possible that other people just chose fumigate or just chose uh you know what other five men i can't name any other five men i know there's many more 5 mana rafts or you know they chose that phyrexian one that makes an xx horror wave. token or whatever something you know those cards that are just different but similar that makes route stand out in your list
1: i buy that all right what about can you come up with a hypothesis for either horizon canopy or rashad port which are both high up on the list of recommended cuts
0: I was gonna say those ones I think are probably the ones that are most obvious to me why they're in this list, and it's because those cards are also played in the most power optimized Mm -hmm. cubes. I think they I think basically like they are close to what the recommender would consider to be a power outlier. It's like, wait a minute, the most ruthless, you know, uh, unpowered lists are playing these cards and you don't have very much in common with those lists overall, so why are you playing these cards that are played in the most powerful cubes?
1: Totally. And I think like we talked about a bunch last week that Context is really uh, important, and I think that these cards aren't overpowered. In fact, I think Rashadden port is undervalued here. People just don't play it, but it scales pretty well with the power level. These cards are definitely not a problem in your environment at all, but
0: I think that's why the recommender has called them out.
1: Did anything else stand out to you about these recommended cuts?
0: No, not the top 20. I thought step links being here was interesting because... It is effectively, like, an aggro one drop, which are cards you you don't include many of. And I I don't—we can just only wildly speculate. I mean, to say we could wildly speculate about the reason a card is here would imply that there would be some way to determine why a card is here, and the truth is that there is no way to, like, ask the robot why did you put this card here. The answer is that it conformed to this algorithm and stood out, you know, numerically in this way. But it's interesting that Steplinks is the kind of card that I would probably not— take very highly in your cube, I would consider it to be a, not a trap, but like, this is a card that I think is really only good in a sufficient density, and there's not a density of aggro one-drops here, and so to see something like Steplink stand out, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I also don't think that card super belongs here, personally.
1: Fair enough. So the one card that I think has already been on my cut list, so I'm not going to give the robot credit for, uh, is World Shaper. So, this is a card that when it attacks it, mills you, and then if it dies, you get all the lands back from your graveyard to the battlefield, which I think has been in my cube from the beginning. When I read the card, I just say, well, this does so many different things. So if you want to put it in a deck that interacts with the graveyard, if you want to put it in a deck that it interacts with landfall, or just wants to ramp, it's just very open ended for you to put it into a lot of decks that want it for different reasons. But it just plays out in a pretty clunky way uh, and a four mana three three just doesn't end up making the deck or making it into combat very often
0: yeah i also think it's a card it's probably underplayed because i think people look at it and think well i'm not a lands deck so i'm not gonna play this card even though to your point it does have virtue and value in those other decks that are related magic is hard so is there anything that you will consider cutting because it shows up in this list that was
1: previously not a consideration for you I don't think so. Possibly, I mean, I'd be interested in talking more about step links and how you think that fits in. But I think that's a bigger conversation about like, what does aggro look like in this environment? Right. Uh, you do have all those prismatic vistas, so
0: maybe it makes sense. It's
1: I'll, I'll put that. in a
0: little vote here. I, I will agree with the robot. A card I don't like playing with or against is Changeling Hero, which is a card oh, I think no. you really like.
1: <laughs> I do really like it. What, I think I mostly, what is it you like about it? I think I actually just really like the champion a creature mechanic. The fact that it lets you sort of uh lets, you know, wizards design these sort of overstatted creatures, um, because you're sacrificing one of your creatures effectively to get it into play. But then gives you all these extra layers of ways you can play around with blink or just, you know, protection against removal, I think is just a really interesting uh card design. Plus, I mean, it's a shark, cat, uh sword hero. It's everything. It's a
0: jellyfish Hydra. It's a weird And like I a mean honestly hydra. just the
1: flavor of, of champion on, I think it was only on, on these shapeshifters, and the flavor being, you know, oh well, you thought I had this creature, but it's it's morphed. It was a changeling the whole time. Uh, is is very cool to me. Champion definitely appeared
0: on non changelings. There's like champion elves and stuff. I'm you percent right. sure. Yep. Yeah.
1: So yeah, Maybe and I mean a, a five mana too. four four life link uh, ends up playing. It's really it, it's good. A, in it's this effective. It's a powerful card. Um, it's really But I good see here, why yeah. life link on a big body can be pretty swingy and not appeal to. Uh, all players life link is one of my least favorite mechanics i think hmm. which i i guess is consistent with how much
0: i like making my players pay life i love making my players pay life it brings me great joy but
1: if you let them gain life then they can pay more life
0: yeah that is the one reason to maybe consider it but yeah i'm honestly it's part of it's a big part of the reason why i cut wormcloth engine if wormcloth engine had like death touch and haste or death touch and trample or something i think i'd be way more into it but lifelink is just
1: changes things it's weird I don't totally disagree. I could. Uh, there's a couple lifelink creatures in my cube, and I could I could definitely see toning that down. I, I guess I guess here's what it comes down to. It's like the way that lifelink interacts with
0: my goal to maximize the sort of three major strategies of magic, aggro, midrange, and control, is weird. Because if you're aggro, you don't ever want lifelink. You don't care about it. Like, you would never... Like, I would say you never want it because you would not be willing to pay the additional mana for a card that had lifelink versus a card that didn't and cost less mana, right? Right. So you don't care about it or want it. If you're in mid-range, I honestly don't think you care about it either because you're just bigger than the aggro deck. So you're not going to win by gaining life against the aggro deck. You're just going to win by playing 3-3s and 4-4s and stuffing them out that way. And I think mid-range decks have a pretty good matchup against aggro in my environment. And so, again... You're not going to go out of your way to take a lifelink card for like, you know, a third of your matchups you're going to play because you just, it doesn't matter. And then in in control decks, similarly, it's like, you're just going to kill all your opponent's creatures and then sort of stabilize. Like, I think where lifelink really shines is in these like mid-rangey mirrors, which are kinds of magic that I don't love to play and don't come up that much in my cube. And so lifelink ends up being this kind of like weird kind of gotcha for me in my like, you know, strongly aggro mid-range control triangle where it's like, why does this car have lifelink? What, what, what is this doing for me here? It's just making it so I can no longer, you know, try to attack around your one blocker and, like, you know, sacrifice creatures to get in for the last points of damage because you happen to have played a Wormcrawl engine instead of any other six-drop. Like,
1: I'm annoyed. Well, where does Batterskull end up getting played in your cube? Oh, for two mana with, with, with Stoneforge <laughs> Mystic, mostly. Like, if it didn't have lifelink, it would still play the same role is
0: what you're saying. Yeah, I'd probably like Batterskull more if you were to swap Lifelink for another line, another keyword ability. I think I'd be even more into it. But as is, I just like it because it is a colorless, resilient card that has this synergy with other cards in the cube that makes it potentially high value. I like including those little two-card combos where the cards are playable independently, but if you put the two cards together, you get an additional benefit. That's something I really like to pursue in my environment whenever I can.
1: All right, well, I'll give you homework then. If you can play changeling hero in my cube and make everyone else have a bad time playing against it then it will make it to the list of probable cuts i'm not looking forward
0: to change your cube based on my play preferences i'm just trying to have an interesting conversation on our podcast
1: no you don't so have to get change five uh, stars on itunes your play preferences it's about uh everyone else's play preferences
0: that's the thing is i won't take it because i don't want you, a five drop i can't play if da- i have no I don't think I so. think you I cast it have to it check my me. screenshot of decks I've drafted, my folder. I, I don't take it very highly because I am just paralyzed at the thought of being stuck with a five-drop in hand that I can't cast because I don't have another creature. See, I, these, I think that's always the sort interesting. Of that when you
1: a card that has that risk and also might force you to sequence your plays in a certain way and, you know, maybe not make an obvious block or a risky attack because, you know, you want to cast this card. That, to me, is a really fun part of the game.
0: Yeah, I suppose... I guess if we were talking about five mana cards that have horrendous floors, I'd rather have Double Vision, personally, than Changeling Hero. But that's just my personal taste. And it's not my cube. Nor is it this robot's cube. See your cube, Anthony.
1: Plus, it's got a big circle on it, right in the middle. Okay, fine. I will admit I also hate the art a lot, so... (laughs) (laughs) I think if the art didn't drive
0: me nuts, I would maybe be more sympathetic to the card. But this little guy looks so fucked up. Look at him. He's all weird. That is so rude. He's, his proportions are all off. He's got these tiny little legs that, like, uh-huh. could barely hold him up. His arms are, like, all wrong. And what's his dumb face now? And his What's his sword? Why is his sword the shape of a football? It's the worst. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff Miracola. <laughs> I don't mean to insult your art. You know, it's a very nice drawing. But it's not
1: for me. Thank you, Jeff. The fact that this card tilts Andy this much uh, delights me every time. Yeah, I don't. It really irks me.
0: All right, we're going long, Anthony, but I do want to discuss briefly what we think about the idea of the recommender in general because we alluded to this briefly, but I, I am always a little wary of anything that I think runs the risk of increasing the homogeneousness, the homogeneity of the cube design world because so many people come to cube with an understanding of, like, I want to have a cube, but, you know, they, they really approach the format without a super strong sense of what it is, why they want a cube, right? Like, they've seen someone draft it, they might have some sort of reasons why they think it's cool, they've seen their players draft them on YouTube or whatever, and they end up building, you know, looking for a list to build and building it, which is totally fine. And we've also referenced before that a lot of the cube community ends up circling around this idea of, like, a very, very powerful cube kind of at the fringe of, like, you know, legacy plus or, like, you know, vintage power level with, you know, small disagreements here and there about, you know, is Mind Twist too good for this environment or not? But there's a lot of people that curate cubes at that kind of power level and see cube as a environment to basically pursue broken draft, uh, really powerful draft environments. And I think it is in the best interest of the format and in the best interest of people playing that format for us to... Embrace and push the diversity of what Cube can be wherever we can, and the recommender on Cube Cobra and kind of reminds me of something from Cube Tutor's days, which I think was even more problematic, which was the the average Cube lists, uh, which you may remember. So on Cube Tutor, they had for each size and each rarity, you know, uh, vintage, uh, peasant, and pauper, they had a seven twenty, a five forty, and a three sixty, quote unquote, average cube, and. To my knowledge, all that average cube list was was it just found the 360 most cubed cards or the 540 most cubed cards across the entire site. So it did not have any of this underlying logic the recommender has where it actually looks for cards that are often run, you know, in in combination with each other to try and derive some sense of patterns or themes to the cube. It was just here are the most common cubes, and the result, frankly, was a, was a cube that was badly designed because no one designed it. It was just a sort of pile of the most cube cards that someone had sort of presented as a cube. But I know for a fact I did this myself too. Like I would oftentimes look at the average cube list and try and see like all right, where is where am I deviating from the average? What other cards do I need to add? And I think it's oftentimes a little bit of a counterproductive force in the cube community that that well it can reinforce the kind of echo chamber effect of everybody just playing the same
1: cards and not really thinking for themselves. Is this something you are concerned about, Anthony? Totally. I mean, I fully agree that what is great about Cube is it is a format that can promote, I think, honestly, more diversity uh, than any other in terms of the kind of gameplay and, and card choices you can have. So a thing which can promote just homogenizing the greater Cube format is a, a little bit risky. But again, on the same, on the other side of that... Um, it just is really difficult to find cards that are interesting because there are so many man- so many different cards. So just having another tool that can give you some ideas and things to consider is definitely valuable. Uh, what I might say is that the cool thing is that on Cube Cobra, the recommender doesn't only apply to your own cube. You can actually go look at the recommender for anybody's cube. It's, you know, public information. So I think that if you just find someone else's cube that you find interesting, really embracing the fact that it is just a discovery tool uh, and looking at what other... Cubes might have recommendations, uh, might be a, a more interesting way to use the tool.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, I I don't mean to criticize Ryan or Cube Cobra or anybody for making this tool, right? Because this information is available, and I'm really glad to have it digested and presented in this way. What I want to caution people against is, like we mentioned at the beginning, thinking that they should, in some objective sense, add the cards that are in the editions or like really consider cutting the cards in the cuts, because if you know, the majority of people did that, or even just, you know, 30% of the cube designers did that. All we would do is basically strengthen the bias that we have with each other, right? And just move closer and closer and closer to the center. And so I actually think that what people should maybe do is like celebrate the cards they see in these lists and like maybe just make sure they have good reasons for not including these cards and use that as an opportunity to, you know, maybe better understand your own cube philosophy. So if you haven't spent as many sleepless nights thinking about your cube philosophy as like I or Anthony have, maybe you can look at the list of recommended editions, and maybe you find a bunch of cards you know you don't want to add and you already thought about and chose not to add. Can you find a pattern there? Is it like, here are the kinds of cards I don't like? And maybe you'll actually notice there are cards like that that are in my cube, even though I'm recognizing it's a pattern that I, I don't like when I'm looking at these editions I don't want to add. Um, that's part of why I ended up cutting, you know, cards like Armageddon and Hymn to Turok, right? Which are recent cuts from my cube we talked about last week. Those are cards that have been in every... Average cube list, every recommender, every like you know homogenizing force of the cube community for me for every minute I've been a part of it, and when you when I explain the goals of my cube out loud and then like read them back to myself or you know someone you know hears it, Hindutva and Armageddon don't fit the goals for my cube. They they don't they are they don't do what I say I want my cube to do. They are just kind of artifacts of this this inertia this inertia the community has towards moving towards this idea of like a canonical, unpowered cube. And so, you know, I'm as much a subject of that bias as anybody is. And so I I just just want our listeners to to definitely take the recommender with a grain of salt and, you know, use it as, like you pointed out, like an exploration tool, a way to, uh, you know, show you things you should consider, but not at all things you need to do or should do, because I don't want to end up in a world where we're all playing the same cube list.
1: Definitely not. That would be a much less interesting world.
0: Way less interesting. Don't want that.
1: Don't tell me to cut
0: Earl of Squirrel. Yeah, Robot, back off. Hey, listen, Robot. The last time somebody told this guy to cut Earl of Squirrel, he woke up with like 50 squirrels in his bed.
1: (laughs) You're gonna get chittered on. (laughs) Do squirrels chitter or just rats? Chittering Doom is a magic card, and I assume they did their research. It's about squirrels. Oh, well, there you go. See? Asked and answered. Thanks, Mark Rosewater. Rosewater. Let's
0: wrap it up there, Anthony. This has been Lucky Paper Radio, the show where Anthony and I talk about our favorite way to waste time and distract ourselves from the horrors of the world, Magic the Gathering and Cube. Thank you for listening. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. You can Google DJ James Nasty and find some other cool music to listen to. What should we tell people to do this week, Anthony? What's our our little call-out?
1: Uh, Well, I wanted to, uh, as we do every week, make a book recommendation and recommend Nosedive by my all-time favorite author, Harold McGee. If you want a field guide to the wonderful world of smells with a Carl Sagan-like sense of wonder, it is an excellent read so far.
0: I know there's a lot of cube community people that uh, like cooking or like cocktails, and so Harold McGee is a person that should be in their universe, and yeah, you are really enjoying this book, so a hearty recommendation for Nosedive. Nosedive it is. All right, read that book and send us your cubeless if you want us to do a pack one, pick one. This has been Lucky Paper Radio. Thank you for listening. And Anthony, thank you for talking about magic with me.
1: Happy to dive into it. Nose first. Nose first.